and welcome to Everyday Design, the podcast about how design affects your everyday life. I'm interior designer Abigail Hall. And I am urbanist Rachel Fisher. And I'm going to start off this week with a listener question. Are you excited? <gasps> Our first listener question. I know. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michelle Olivier, who asked us, how do I keep my kitchen clean? Now, she wanted a whole podcast on it, which, <laughs> thank you, Michelle, I love you, and yes... I could talk about this all day. Um, but I'm going to keep this one simple. And um, we've got a little guest with us, actually, uh, this week. We've got Cadmus, who you might hear purring away. And I'll allow Cadmus to claw me if I become too patronising about this answer. <laughs> or, you could, or you could just give me a whack. I don't. Answer. Yeah. Um, so, keeping kitchen... I think she particularly was talking about kitchen work surfaces. Kitchen counters. As a result of our last podcast where we were looking at kitchen design. Um... Listen, the fact of this, it's a really simple one. Kitchen counters, you keep them clean by having no stuff on them. Because kitchen work surfaces are super easy to wipe down. They're hard wearing materials, whether you've got laminate, whether you've got stone composite. So probably what you've got on your kitchen counter is too much stuff. But I guess the question is, how do you how do you deal with the stuff that currently exists on your kitchen counter? Well, thank you for asking me that question, Rachel, yeah, no, because no. I actually happen to have a little technique. Now, listen, this is, this is quite contrite, and uh, you, can, you can take this as you will. Get yourself a load of stickers, little red dot stickers. You can get them from Amazon. They're about a quid. Put a sticker on every single thing you have on your work surface. And I am talking about every individual spice that you've got. If you've got a spice rack, your kettle, your toaster, the lot of it. Every time you use something, take the sticker off. And in two weeks' time, look at what's left with stickers on it. Everything that you've got left on your work surface, it's still got a sticker on it. You need to find somewhere else for it to be. And that is it. That is how you clear stuff off. You have to look at your behaviour and take it off. So I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think one of the things that happens in in terms of kitchens is that they become dumping grounds because they're often one of the first rooms that you go to when you come in. With a large surface. With a large surface. And you think, ooh, I'll have a little snack. And you come in and you put the mail down or whatever. And, and, and there's a question for me about what do you do with the things that you are kind of emptying out as you come in at the end of the day. We've recently been redoing um, the hall and stairs due to a leak from the house next door um, in our house. And one of the decisions that we've made is that we have got rid of the semicircular table that once stood in our um, entry hall. Your hallway table, yeah. Yeah, and the reason that we got rid of it was that I was really using it just as a dumping ground. So I'd come in and I'd throw down um, whatever glitter, bedazzled <laughs> stuff my children had the, made. Yeah, it's the stuff you make at work. The stuff, make it work. the stuff I make at work. Um, so, you know, so I was throwing that down and I was throwing the mail down and then like maybe once a month I would go through the mail and go, oh God, I really should have opened that sooner. Yeah, so it wasn't even being practical for you. It wasn't no. mail storage area. It just was a dumping ground. It was, it was. And I just thought, no, what I need is not the dumping ground. So then we went through a really big conversation about whether or not what we really needed was one of those big antique hall trees that has a place to hang Hits hats and, and mirrors and all that umbrellas. kind of stuff. And I said, okay, look, once we've taken everything off the table... What are the things that we actually need to have in the front hall for the front hall? The umbrellas? Yeah. We've got quite a unobjectionable umbrella uh, holder and, as yeah. it is. Uh, that's fine. We have some hooks for coats. That's fine too. So the one thing that was on the semicircular table that I couldn't work out what to do with it was sunglasses. Well, surely there's a hook. 
You can create a little sunglass hookers, a little shelf, a tiny little high up shelf. Indeed. So I went through all of this and then finally I founded Ikea. And yeah, no, I know. I spend a lot of my life there. Um, I'm, I'm saying nothing. Yeah. So I found at Ikea a, exactly what I needed. So I was th- thinking, well, what we'll do is we'll put the existing hooks back up and then, and then we'll get a little shelf to go yeah. above it and da, da, da. And I walked into Ikea and lo and behold, they have a mirror with a little shelf under which is a set of hooks. See? They observe behaviours and design for it. Exactly. But what I'm interested is that you have a dumping ground and actually I don't think your behaviour is going to change. I think you're still going to decant everything but your hallway table isn't in your vision. It's not even in your peripheral vision. But the thing is, the place that I know that will become the dumping ground is in fact my kitchen counter, which is what made me think of it. But the reason why this is different is that Patrick has an extremely low tolerance for things on the kitchen counter. So I know that the mail will just get sorted through and dumped into the recycling bin because it's right there. Exactly so. And that is the answer. So, you know... Have a place for everything and put it in its place. Yeah. And if that place is somewhere that's out of the way, know that things will get left and ignored there. Exactly. Which in a way is actually what your hallway table would be. So, yeah, thank you very much, Michelle. I hope that was an answer to your question. I think we were pretty vicious about what to do. <laughs> get rid of everything and then just wipe it. <laughs> Red stickers everywhere. Um, there is a longer answer that might be to do with have you got sufficient storage, etc., etc. Um, but moving on to this month, I yes, you've, Rachel, you've been doing things, haven't you, this month? I have been here, there, and everywhere. I've had what six plane trips in the last month. It has been a Exhausting. very intense. Uh, it's been very intense. Um, so I was in Cannes for work, which genuinely it was a work trip. It was not a holiday. Mipin. I was at Mipin, know, the uh, preeminent property, uh, international property conference. That they have to have in Cannes. That they have to have in Cannes. Honestly, people wouldn't go somewhere else. They really wouldn't. Um, then I was in the States visiting uh, friends and family. I was in both Chicago and Kansas. And yeah, so that, that jet lag with toddlers is, is its own special hell. And what was the highlight of that? Oh, God, there were so many highlights. I mean, the obvious answer is the main highlight of all of this was getting to see my friends and family that yes. I don't get to see very often. My grandpa turned 90, so it was fantastic, fantastic. to have a huge a huge family reunion. But I'm actually going to go back in time to Cannes uh, at MIPIM, where we saw the launch of The Developer, which is a new publication uh, aimed at everybody involved in creating the built environment. Uh, it's been launched by Christine Murray, who was the previous editor-in-chief of um, the Architectural Review and the Architects Journal. And this is a really, really interesting departure for Christine. I think what it's really looking at is how do we actually use spaces? So rather than kind of breathlessly exploring new buildings, yes. um, it's really about how are these buildings being used? How are these places being used in practice? And what contribution are they making to the city as a whole and to people's lives? So it's very, very much something that I'm I'm deeply interested in. This first edition, which is Gorgeous. I I was thumbing through it earlier and absolutely fell in love, especially with her introduction piece, which I felt from from a, a skim read. I don't think I've read it in, intensely as you. Feels to me like a manifesto. It is. It's it's a manifesto about how do we ask the really difficult questions and how do we address the elephants in the various rooms. And I love that. Just fantastic. And the thing that I just just really struck me was the very first page as you right open on the it inside up, cover, right yeah. on the inside cover is a picture of the city of London, very kind of gray Portland, Portland stone. stone with a hard slabs. Yep. And it's a picture of the back of a man in a gray suit mm-hmm. on a cell phone yep. and a woman holding a baby and pushing a push chair. And 
it's just that kind of who is this city for? Who are we building the city for? Whose whose needs and whose interests are being served? And it just really struck me the minute I opened this this amazing publication. Just that just felt like such an incredibly strong statement of intent. I agree completely. And I just um obviously I'll link to it, but it was just really fantastic and it's such a good read. So I really recommend the website, the podcast, um, and this publication, which I think they're only going to be doing uh, about two a year, um, because they're absolutely a, a, a complete labor of love. They just it it's just stunning. The photography is amazing, the writing's really good as well. Um and yeah, no, I I, I just really recommend it. So, Abby, what have you been up to this month? So I have been also reading something. Excellent. Not in your beautiful journal, alas. I wish I had an opportunity to talk more about that because, it's really, yeah, it's stunning. I actually picked up a piece that was on BBC News and it's about a Kenyan artist. He's was a civil servant. Interesting. But I'm talking you about... You can him. have another life. <laughs> it is possible to be both. <laughs> See, I told you, the glitter and the sequins. <laughs> I know that's what you do at work. Um, Kadambi Asalanche bought a property, a Georgian house Amazing. in uh, London in the 1980s. And it, it apparently it had squatters in it before. Mm. So it really was an estate. And we've talked yep. about the house, state of your house. I know that you've got empathy for that. Now, he was really interested in a number of different styles, but his medium was fretwork. So taking timber mm. um, and cutting into it, um, making etches to make it 3D panels, yep. something we actually talked Lovely. about when we talked about the Dior exhibition. And he was influenced by a number of different styles. Um, There's a lot of representation of geometry mm. to do with Islamic influence, mm. some Kenyan African influence, and his his own style. He just created savanna scenes, and over the course of twenty years, he reclaimed palettes, doors, anything that he could basically get his hands on, and he just put this fretwork everywhere. Amazing. And sadly. Sadly, he is no longer with us and his house has been gifted and is now open as a museum. Oh, wow. And it, it, I was looking at this piece and I was thinking, this, this guy, when he first started doing this, I bet he just thought, yeah, I really want to have a go at that. That's a, re- <laughs> that's a really nice style. Oh, I've got an old palette. I think, I think I'll just have a go. I enjoyed that. I'll do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And now... It is this monument to his creativity. And doesn't that tell us that any of us can be that? Any of us can start off saying, I love this. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to have a go at it. Okay, not all of us are going to gift our houses over to trust. And not all of us are going to be good at what we do. But the point is that if you try doing something you love, you could be great. And when we look at the properties that we revere and... Spoiler alert, I'm going to be talking about what we're doing next month with John Soane. You, you look at people who we revere and every single thing that they've done, you say, wow, you, you, you collected that, you displayed that, you thought about that, you yeah. designed that. Right from the get-go, with an idea of what you're crea- uh, curating. How about you just like it and you keep doing more of it and yeah. more of it and yeah. more of it. And actually, he was doing it for himself. It was only yeah. in later years that he realised that this was something that actually was worthy of being preserved. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I really like that. And I thought, I'm going to be more proud about the things that I do and lean into it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Why the hell not? Why the hell not? I'm the why the hell not. Why the hell? Good design, bad design. <laughs> Shall I go? Go ahead. Well, I also... It's a wonderful segue. Thank you for setting <laughs> that up. Because for three years... 
I have been thinking, I'm not going to do my garden because I'm not in a position. It's not going to be perfect. I haven't got the money. The logistics for it are too complicated. Well, and also logistics involve Japanese knotweed. Yes, Japanese knotweed. I also live in a terrace Victorian property. There's no side access. So the possibility of getting in and out materials was... Very challenging. uh, Exactly. And so basically, I've been been postponing gratification. Yeah. I wanted to enjoy this garden. I'm incredibly lucky to have space outside living in London. And yet I wasn't. And I'd let this whole thing become completely overgrown in a legitimate way where the Japanese knotweed was because I couldn't disturb that until the um, the chemical works and the dig out that we had had been done. But actually the rest of it I just ignored. Mm. And that is really bad. Why am I ignoring a potential space that I can develop and be happy in Yeah. because of an excuse? And what I realised is... I was waiting for it to be perfect. Hmm. I'm so used and I'm very, I'm aware of the privileged position that I've been in working with the kind of clients that I've had who's got the kind of budget and the kind of vision that I get to have a blank canvas. Yeah. If I need to knock down all the walls, I can get in the structural engineers to have that. If I have to rip everything out and start again, that's no problem. So be it. And actually when it came to my own project, I approached it with that. Mm. I know what I want. I have sketched it out. And actually, therefore, that is the only thing I'm going to be happy with. So it's only when I finally, after, and I truly, this is true, three years yeah. a sculpture has sat in an artist's studio because I've said, I don't want it in my garden yet because my garden's not ready. But you love the sculpture. I adore the sculpture. And I had an epiphany and went, what the hell am I doing? This is ridiculous. I will spend a small amount of money on making the garden fit for purpose. Amazing. And I will have this beautiful sculpture brought in. And of course, now I have a space that I love. Yeah. Yes, I still want to do future work to it. Yes, I will be able to do future work to it. But I get to enjoy it now. So actually, bad design is waiting. Done is better than perfect. And you have to be able to enjoy the process. The process of becoming you know, the process of building, the process of designing, the process the of living with, and it is about the journey. It's the houses, gardens, gardens in particular. Mm. I mean, my garden has been an ongoing thing. Gardens are genuinely never finished. Well, they can't be. The, the plants die. There's, they take time to grow. The minute you put something in, you're having to think about what the next phase of its life mm. is going to be. So, so that I is, like that. I really, and I put here, I, I put accepting limitations is actually... It's part it's of the getting design. it's getting very it's really deep. Very deep. And I have to I have to recognise actually, <laughs> I don't think that just the ability and, and the money and the time and the, the logistics to rip something out completely and start from that. I actually think that's very easy design. And I've got more respect mm. for people who have to work within the limitations. Well, constraints gives good design. I think it does. I actually think it does, yeah. as long as well, everything is considered. leads to innovation, mm. because you have to, you have to problem solve. It's too easy if you have a blank canvas that you just go, oh, right, I'm just going to do this then. Yes. Because I can do anything I want. Which is how you end up with a muck mansion, which is what we've talked about previously. Which is how you end up with a muck mansion. Yes. I have not got one of those in my garden, don't worry. What about you? What what's, your, uh, what's your good design, bad design? So I spent some time in the States, as I said, um, and I spent time in Oak Park, which is the 19th century neighbourhood, which was laid out just kind of... I'm going to say north of Chicago. I'm terrible at geography, which is a horrible thing to say as a planner. Um, <laughs> um, north. It's a safe space, right? North. North of Chicago. Um, and it's where Frank Lloyd Wright's um, house is. And he also um, designed 
a series of homes called the bootleg houses. Oh, yes. And the bootleg houses were basically built when he was working for another architect. And he had an increasingly large family, like six kids. And he kind of did some design on the side. Oh, okay. Better design on the sly. Um, and he was working out his style. And so Oak Park is absolutely full of Frank Lloyd Wright designed homes. Yes. And we will talk more about this in the next episode. But what really, really struck me was that Oak Park was the first neighborhood that I've been in in the U.S., which is kind of small s suburbia, right? Mm. So it's kind of, in London terms, it's it's kind of zone three. Okay. It's, it's, it's about half an hour out of the center on public transport, yes. on the L, which is um, kind of their overground, underground. Yes, yes. So it's perfect for commuting to the city, um, but living in a genuinely walkable neighborhood. So what was amazing was we could walk from the house that we were staying in, um, which we were very lucky. We were, li- we were staying in one of the bootleg houses. How did you even... That's because of the, because... the person that you know and they happen to have... Yeah, so, so as it happens, um, my husband's godfather bought this house and has been living in it for the past five years and it is stunning. Um, it's amazing that they're still private residences. Well, they are, and, and they mostly all are. I mean, th- particularly these ones. And, and what was fascinating is that that house was built in 1892, exactly the same year as my house was built. And they're so different. Anyway, more on that for another time. What really fascinated me was the neighborhood that we were staying in. And so you could walk 15 minutes from the house to, well, five minutes from the house was a excellent school. 15 minutes walk was an excellent public library and park. 15 minutes walk was the L station to be able to go into the center. But you also had a proper town center with retail, with restaurants, with a cinema, with a bookstore, with with all of the things that a town could possibly need. But it's a suburb. And... But it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a suburb, but it's an inner ring suburb. Mm. It was the first time that I've been in a neighborhood in the States where I thought, oh, yes. Oh, oh, no, I... You hmm, could live there. How could I get a job at the University of Chicago? <laughs> If anyone from the University of Chicago is listening, I, I am an urbanist and, and, and you have well, a very good department in this. And as if she's got a compass, she'll know which way to work it out. Um, but it was just fascinating because then we went to Kansas. We went to a small town in Kansas called Heston, which is where my entire mother's family is from. Yes. And it has a main street, which has six to ten shops. All but three are shut down. Oh, Wow. The town is bisected by railways. Yes. It is absolutely not walkable. You cannot, cannot be there without a car. Cannot. There are many, many good things about this town. There are many good things about this town. They have an incredible... Um, so they have Showalter Villa, which is a retirement community, which has different levels of um, kind of access. Yes. So, you know, you can have independent living, you can have on-site care, da 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 but what's really fascinating about it is it's linked to a junior college, which is a two-year university that we have those in the States, which specializes in nursing, and particularly geriatric nursing. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. That it's a, well, it's a clustering effect yeah. going on right there, But what they it? also have is a daycare, which is on the same site as Show Ultra Villa. So you oh get I all this. And, so that. it's amazing. And they've got yeah. an arboretum, and they've got all yeah. these great things. But it's not walkable. You have to have a car. Now, you could live at the villa without a car because it's, it's designed for designed that. For yeah. that. But, but the this, town, that's, why this, that's why this high street is dead. Exactly. But it's a town of 9,000 people, something like that. And you and have so to have a just, car. Is there some out of town, more... There are other towns. Yeah. There are, there's out of town stuff. And it's just... 
I found it kind of depressing. Was it soulless? Because there was... Well, there's just no acres center. and acres of... Yeah, there, there's no centre to this to this yes. town. Um, and there probably is. And the, and the centre is around the college and the yes. centre is around Showalter yes. Villa. But it didn't feel to me like unless you were part of that community, yes. there was a community there. But also in contrast whereas in Oak Park, to yes, which Chicago. I spent, exactly. Whereas in Oak Park, which I spent relatively little time in, you could feel very quickly, you could see very quickly the community that existed there and, and kind of how it worked. And you can picture yourself within it. Yeah, and that's and that's personal preference on my part as well. So that that is just I prefer to live in a community that is walkable. I would prefer to not have to own a car. Um, but that is the future is that we shouldn't be dependent. Well, on this, this is this is the whole conversation about you know mobility becoming a service rather than a product. Mm-hmm. So rather than having a car um, as a thing that you own, you will have a car for some time. Because it makes no sense for you to have so much money and energy tied up in an asset that you're actually using for an hour a day. Exactly. And what if that? If that, an hour a week. And the thing that's interesting in the States is that walkability is becoming an increasingly kind of important selling point on apartments that are being rented out. So there's a a website, which I'll link to, called, I think, like, walkability.com, something easy like that. And basically, um, you type in the zip code, you type in the address and it tells you how walkable that neighborhood is. For its main uh, for facilities. To be able to, yeah, to, yeah. to reach the various amenities. It's fantastic. We do not do that in the UK. I would no. be fascinated to see an equivalent. I would service. be fascinated for schools because of everything that's being talked about in the UK now with trying to cut down car journeys around schools oh, and yeah. cars around schools and of course that practicality of well is it walkable for the but parents it, and the children but, but 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 it's not about whether or not it's walkable to get to the school it's about how does the parent then need to get to work yes because it's a whole system problem so if i'm dropping the kids off on my way to work mm. because school doesn't open until nine yep nine and then it ends at three thirty. my children are starting school in september ah no mm. idea and for, uh, put london aside for most cities for and most towns cities, in the UK. For most cities, you do not have transit options. No, exactly. That, that, you know, so, so in London, I can walk my child to school and then get on the tube or the bus or whatever mm. and, and get into work. Whereas if I were living somewhere else and I had to commute by car, well, then it's really impossible to say to me, no, but you first you need to walk your child to school. 15 minutes walk to school, which is at, a nine, totally o'clock. Le- at nine o'clock, which is a totally legitimate thing to say. Fine. 15 minutes walk to school. But then you need to do another 15 minutes walk back to your house mm-hmm. to pick up your car before you can go into town. Yes. Ridiculous. Anyway, there endeth the soapbox <laughs> on walkability. <laughs> Walkscore.com. That's what it's called. Oh, well done. You Thank got you. There. I did. I knew I would. Cool. So this month we picked for our theme because spring has sprung. Oh, it really has. It really has. So spring is springing. And we have some beautiful cherry blossom. Amazing. Gone mad for it. I was actually talking to a florist about if it's okay to steal cherry blossom. Go with me. There's a school near to where I live and it's closed because it's Easter currently as we're uh, recording this. And the cherry blossom, it's, it's properly bloomed. It's about to lose its petals. And I just thought they're not going to notice. Do you know, just snip a couple of the bits off? <laughs> you know, the, the blossom will be gone by the time they've gone back to school. Given the fact I was verbalising this to someone, obviously meant that I'm not going to do it. Clearly lost your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but renewal. Yes. That's our main topic. Exactly. And I think, and, and you can really take this at all the scales, right? So this is from personal renewal. Today, I treated myself well actually I was treated to because it was a birthday present I was treated to a uh, trip to the spa 
and I had a massage and a facial and I can honestly say I have never been happier. Listen, she's glowing. Glowing. I'm very jealous. I'm sitting here in kind of a fog of <laughs> layers of dead skin. And it was <laughs> and it was amazing because I never do anything like that. And after six plane flights in the last oh. month and And lug I was saying to you all that, that lugging stuff around exactly. and And just being able to kind of just be taken care of by somebody else for an hour and a half was fantastic. But also to do what you just did to breathe. Yeah. To have a moment. Indeed. So that that was, you know, so so from a very personal level, being able to have that kind of sense of personal renewal. But also, um currently both you know, having 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 my house renewed <laughs> for what feels like the fiftieth time. I think it is. You should keep a tally. Oh, so you know, but paint gets old and it gets scuffed yes. and children put chocolatey handprints on walls. And actually that's a really, really good place to start the renewal conversation, <laughs> which is about um, maintenance. Yeah. Upkeep, care, yeah. wear and tear. Um, it's very easy, especially for me as a designer, to go straight to, let's talk about a new aesthetic. Let's yeah. talk about a new function. But sometimes it's just keeping things going. And... Even if you live in a brand new property, there is maintenance to do. Both Rachel and I live in Victorian properties and we have challenges related to that, which are things like rot, damp, mould, dust, leaks, dust, dodgy electrics. I've written on my list dodgy here. Dodgy electrics. Dodgy electrics. The things that you've been going, yeah, that doesn't quite work. I'll, I'll get around to working out why that is. Yeah. And then remembering, actually, yeah, no, you don't mess around with electrics. No, that is for professionals and professionals only. Exactly so. But if there is something that isn't working, get a professional in and find out why. Because the thing about, particularly in an older property, you are just storing up problems for later. Truly you are. Um, so part of renewal is getting in the, those people, those professionals. But you also you can do a lot yourself. Mm. So the scuffs on the, the walls are stairways. Yeah, rub it with bread according to youtube okay right was that like the bread association of literally the UK? said do you know what you could do don't waste that bread rub it on a wall because gluten takes off scuff marks okay i've never heard that i will find the youtube clip and i will send Did you it to try you. it no i don't think that would work i don't know either anyway um so yeah maintenance is a is a big thing and and actually now, this time of year, now we're, we're opening the windows, we're, you know, the natural light's coming back in. It's a really good opportunity to look for, you don't have to be worried about these things, but look for cracks, look for where sealant is peeling away, look for perhaps where your, your grout has slightly yeah. come away. Because that, exactly as you say, that's where problems come. It's where the water gets in. Exactly. Water ingress is something that I've had uh, quite a lot of. I've, I've had a dehumidifier running in one room, Basically got a handle on that and then found a load of damp in another room. So Amazing. I was like, lucky I didn't get around to taking it back to uh, uh, rent a hire, whatever the hell um, the company I got it from. <laughs> Just moved it into a different bedroom. Excellent. Um, it also creates a lovely white noise, by the Aww. way. So, uh, Ooh, I recently downloaded an app. Oh, I use one all the time. Which does bedtime stories. Oh, okay. And meditations. It's amazing. Oh, can we do a shout out on the... Calm. Um... So it's Calm. It's the, one, it's the one that famously has Stephen Fry reading to you about lavender fields in Provence. Oh my God, I need to listen to that. I would never get It also bed. has one, which is, he's called The French Whisperer. Oh, And he really? reads to you about, he reads to you about the lost city 
of Atlantis. Oh my gosh. I'm, and it's just like I, I amazing. Felt muscle groups just relaxing <laughs> while you were doing that. that 20 minutes of just. Amazing. Plato spoke of the lost city of Atlantis. Oh, it's just fantastic. <laughs> Highly recommended. Also, this is so renewal is as much about kind of maintenance for yourself. Mm. This is about self care. And I have been really skeptical about these things. But if you think about self care in the context of maintenance, actually, this is about taking care of yourself and your space. Exactly and that is what so. renewal is about. Yes. Um, and I just want to talk about one other really, really practical thing. I'm not going to mention the pillows, which I love to take out in the sunshine because we talked about that before. Um, this time of year, you'll be... In put- case you hadn't noticed, she likes to take pillows out like in the sunshine. It oh, makes them fluffy. I do. I know. I'm sorry. And I said I wouldn't mention it. Yet we have. Um, we're putting away our winter <laughs> wardrobe now. I certainly am. I've put on a dress for the first time in about six months. But are you wearing tights? I, of course. But it's, these legs... It's still winter. Can't inflict these legs on the world. That's like <laughs> a hate crime against society. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, you're putting away your winter uh, items, it's quite good if you if you don't already have this in your wardrobes. Have at least one or two cedar hangers. Mm, absolutely. Um, I moths are a real threat. Yeah, they really are. And if we have another summer like we did last year, lovely long warm summer, mm. everything's shut away. There's actually quite a lot of moisture in the air. Oh, it's very warm. It's a perfect environment so do, for everything. So, do, so does the do the cedar things also deal with the moisture as well? Do they absorb no, moisture? No, they don't. They're just oh, they're, right. they're, they're, they're anti. They're just anti. You don't get the level of moisture in the UK that's going to have you um have your clothes rot or mold come mm. onto your leather. Okay. And I mean, unless you're really unless you've got damp issues elsewhere in your property, and then you've got bigger problems. Then you have bigger problems. No, Go the back. Cedar... See see earlier comments on maintenance. <laughs> exactly. It's like we we it's like we think about this. What? No. Oh, whatever. Yeah. But, so, the, the maintenance, that's like our foundation yeah. of renewal, isn't yeah. it? That's our baseline. Then we get to start thinking about the cathartic process of evolving the space that we exist within. Mm. And that's, that's the fun and exciting bit. That's the, like, oh, I've seen some gorgeous new wallpaper. Shout out for Farron Ball's new metallic papers just released. Interesting. Oh, you knew that I was going to get that in there. Oh, I'm in love. There's a Japanese-inspired one with these beautiful, tiny little birds. Ooh. And they do it in this stunning navy blue. Oh, you need another room I, I really, to put it in. I, there are four flats above my flat. <laughs> I've mentally already taken over most of them and I've decorated all of them. Um, It is the exciting stuff, but there's absolutely, and I say this over and over again, function first, aesthetic after. If your space is cracking, damp, falling apart, got problems, you need to have the wiring redone, don't go and put some lovely wallpaper on top. Get the the function done first. Focus on the things that are actually going to fall down around your ears if you mm. don't deal with them yes. and I think that it's it's really interesting that people don't want to deal with those things because mm. they're scary because the thing is that you look at a crack and you think oh my god what, what it, if, well what what's behind it? it yes and 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 then I will have to redo the whole wall and, it just, and the project becomes too big but if you take care of the little things one step at a time it actually does kind of start to fall into place and we are both testament to that oh my gosh. both because we both ignored some big things and gone oh we're a bit scared of that and we've both learnt to do little by little. And then you get to splurge. You get to buy the beautiful... And for me right now, because I'm decorating, You're I am obsessed thinking with about... Wallpaper. I am obsessed with wallpaper. Wallpaper Direct, um, who are very good friends of mine. <laughs> Cheers, man, speed down. You, you joke, but do you want to scroll through my phone? <laughs> I'm, on first, I'm on first name terms with their customer service. <laughs> 
Uh, can I talk to Steve? No, no, specifically <laughs> no, no, Steve. No, no, no it's okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry, is Melanie there, though? Oh, that's right, Steve's on holiday right now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Let him know I rang, though. <laughs> um, no, they... Uh, and I actually am going to do a, a bit of a shout-out. There's two people I want to do shout-outs for. I wanted to shout-out to wallpaperdirect.com because I missed um, a sale that they did to the point of my stuff was in a shopping basket and I was going to check out, left it till the next day, and I called them up and I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, will you, will you... And they were really good. They honoured the sale the next oh day Oh my goodness, that is so kind. That is a really, really good company. They're great. You can get any sample from them, little pieces. Um, the other people, and sorry, I'm going to do a shout out. I'm taking myself back to my good sign, bad sign. I can't believe I said this. Yeah. My huge sculpture, which yeah. had sat in storage for ages. The K, my, my house backs onto um, a car park of a hotel called the K West Hotel. They talk about neighbours, talk about neighbourly uh, attitudes yep. and community. Yeah. They could not have been more helpful in terms of helping me get my sculpture from their car park into my garden. Amazing. And I really, I actually want to do a shout out to them because the K-West Hotel is a small independent hotel. It's, um, it, it is one of a small group. They, they have quite a lot of celebrities stay there, don't you know? Good because times. it's uh, <laughs> their proximity to some of the studios. Uh, BBC yeah. have some studios and, uh, uh, you know, some other bits and pieces there. And it's, so I wanted to give some shout outs to some companies who have been helping me renew. Also, who was the artist that did your sculpture? And can we please have a photo of it? Uh, you absolutely can have a, a photo of it. And he is called Paul Van Stone. He will be exhibiting at the Chelsea Flower Show. He is absolutely fantastic. He trained with Arnish Kapoor. Um, I met him and fell in love with his work. Amazing. His atelier is up the road from my house. Oh, right. I went and hung out there, kind of lost it over a lot of marble a bit too much. It was weird. He might have had to ask me to move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think sculpture is a really nice thing to have in a garden as well. So I've got um, a sculpture my friend Brenna did of me uh, in metal in the, in the garden. Have you not noticed this? I've not noticed this. It's literally my face and my hands holding um, like three cubes. Have the cubes broken off? They well no, so they they were always loose in the hand. But and they're yeah. sitting on your table. They're right currently now. sitting on my table because of the scaffolding and having to move. That the... I noticed. Oh, wow. Okay, but there's literally my face is life size. It was like a. You know what it is? It's because when I'm out there, I, your actual face is also out there. I see. So I'm looking at that. I see. So in terms of renewal, uh, we talked a lot about uh, like private residences. What about wider areas? So of I've renewal? been thinking about this quite a lot. So my my degree was actually in regeneration which is another word for renewal um and that's really about how do you make cities how do you remake cities to um to improve them to make them work better for people and i think regeneration can often be seen as a as sort of the polite way of saying gentrification yes now for me it's really about how do you work with what you've got. So going back to your point earlier about constraints, how mm. do you work with what already exists in a city, including the people? <laughs> so you can't just create... They are part of the fabric. Absolutely. And they are the people who care about the place and mm. who will keep the place going and who will make it good. So you need to be able to do work in a place with the people who are there, with the existing materials of that place. Which is actually why people get so animated when an area is basically fully bulldozed and Absolutely. starts from scratch and it, you have this you know, beautiful, huge glass. Well, the entire, I mean, the entire historic preservation kind of movement mm. was really started 
um, in the UK, it was actually the destruction of the original Euston Station, which led to the kind of modern historic preservation movement in the UK. In America, it was the destruction of Penn Station. Yes. Of the original Penn Station. How interesting, it was both stations. Yeah, I know, and in and in very similar time periods, mm. where actually there were where where there was this real sense of progress in the nineteen sixties, and the progress meant that we needed to get rid of get everything. Rid of the old. And I think the more that you kind of reflect on what are the spaces that really work, um, then actually it's places that have been kind of developed over time and sensitively working with what's exist- what's already there. There was a really interesting article um, in The Guardian earlier this week written by David Redland from Urbed. And that was talking about, you know, why can't England plan cities? Why can't England plan? And it was a really kind of was he writing it to be controversial? Yeah, he, no, he absolutely was, and he, he he and and also he's he's marketing a book called Climax Urbanism. Well, I think you know we'll do a link to that, but you need to get a kickback off that because <laughs> hold on, you've just promoted his book now. No, I'm not promoting his book. He was promoting his book. The article was promoting the book and the idea of climax urbanism, which is basically the idea that cities work best where they are bringing people in um, and where they are developing kind of with the grain of how people want to use a place rather than um, cities being kind of dictated to by planners yes funny ears around planners who have set these rules and the rules say this and the rules say that and he his argument is that you then get some really bad spaces when you have unthinking rules um kind of establishing how places are laid out it was a really interesting article about a, every planner i know tweeted it took umbrage to it and i and i think it, he really didn't mm, in some ways respect back to the role of the urban designer who are usually planners um and 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 also it felt to me like he was making a criticism which didn't feel entirely fair of the british system of planning which is not rules-based it's an entirely negotiated system the truth is that absolutely everything is possible in planning like assuming you can say this is how it's meeting these aims and objectives that the local authority has set out in their local plan and then have a conversation through the democratic process of having a planning committee. So as long as it's done collaboratively. As long as it's done collaboratively. It tries to, so, so planning in the UK tries to build in early community engagement, consultation, having conversations with democratically accountable people, i.e. the planning committee. And yet it has become very adversarial. But that it doesn't mean that it's a rules-based system where everything is going wrong because the rules have been set out in the wrong way. So it was a really, really interesting article. Um, and I think kind of unfair, painted a sort of unfair picture of the role of planners and of planning. Um, but nevertheless, I think what he was describing in terms of the kinds of places and the kinds of cities that we like living in, that was spot on. That was absolutely right. I think one of the, one of the things that gets problematic is when you um, kind of try and over-engineer so, so you think, so going back to your point again about, I will create a blank slate. Yes. And with this blank slate, I will create utopia. Yes. No, 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 no. no. Life is very, work. life is very messy. Life is full of constraints. Cities, people, messy. And yeah, you can't force those people. No. To be what you want them to be. No, and just by design. So, so, you, so I've often said this about, about urban design, like it is the ultimate form of behavioral economics. It is the ultimate form of nudge theory mm-hmm. because... I will be able to tell you how you will live your life because I'm going to put this here and that yes. there. And da, 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 da. Like, so, so the whole conversation about transportation, walkability, that is genuinely a conversation about 
how is your city laid out? Where's your central business district in relationship to? But the thing is that cities that develop over time will work it out. They really will. It's the desire line. Yeah, it go, well, everything goes back to the desire line. Really. Everything really does. And as my husband said the other day, when I used the desire line, he said, this, these are created by anarchists. <laughs> and I said, they're, they're really not. Your they're husband. created by people who know where they want to be. Such a lawyer. I know. Such a lawyer. <laughs> Such a lawyer. But, and I think the conversation about renewal, so, so many cities have had to rebuild themselves. London, for instance, rebuilt oh, itself yes. after the fire in 1666. Yeah. Christopher Wren set out his perfect idea mm. of what London should look mm. like, very Paris, set out his perfect idea of what London should look like, and it didn't get built. And the reason it didn't get built is that pretty much the day after the fire, all the shopkeepers pitch up and they're like, well, that was my bit. Yeah. And so you still have this kind yeah, of weirdly medieval street. I have layout. to keep trading. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just, I work now. This is mine. And and Chicago, the city I was just in as well. So Chicago had a massive fire in the 19th century. And, and the reason why so much of the kind of architectural innovation was in Chicago was because they basically had to re- rebuild well, something like 60% of the city went in this fire. Wow, in the 19th. really? It was amazing. I mean, it was huge devastation, yes. massive loss of life, terrible. And yet, out of those ashes came the world's first skyscraper. Because it comes innovation. Indeed. Yeah. Which brings us to a really topical point. Um, so as we're recording this, the uh, Cathedral of Notre Dame has just basically burned down. Yes. The roof. The has roof has collapsed. I, I think everyone has been absolutely shocked. But it's been, it's been interesting, though. Because... The, the, my entire timeline on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram was, oh, pray for the people of Paris. And oh, I was, really? th- oh That's my gosh, well, Americans. But <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know what? With everything that is going on in the world today, this is sad. This is really sad. That spire was built in the mid 19th mm. century. This is not an 800-year-old spire that no. survived. It, that it, like, and it is really sad that Notre Dame, which survived Nazi occupation, which survived... You know, it is really sad. I, I am sad that I never made it inside because the queues were always too long. And I think the lesson to learn from this is that when you are in a place, go genuinely go, see those things. Be present. Just go be present. Do not delay it. Do not delay gratification. But... This is not the, the Charlie Hebdo shootings. Mm. Pray for the people of Paris. Yes. The Bataclan. The, yes. the Bataclan. Pray for the people of Paris. This is not, this, this, is a, this is an extremely unfortunate accident. I must say, so I've not seen that narrative at Interesting. all. Interesting. I've, however, been observing so much more the, the conversation about the architectural response. Mm. So let's, I mean, first of all, I just want to say right from the get-go, and I don't want to be a naysayer here, Everyone is being very, very, very positive that the structure has been saved. But we have got a no. stone structure which is missing a roof. And the balance of that structure... And which structure, has been exposed to extremely high heat and exactly, quite a lot of water. That needs to be protected yep. very, very, very quickly. And the reason why people are saying, you know, is five years re- uh, realistic? 
is because the amount of work there needs to be done to stress test that building and actually see mm-hmm. if it is in a sound enough state to take any kind of roof, whether that is going back to the original oak, using other materials. So that's what's really interesting, is the, the decision to run an architectural competition for the spire. For the spire. And I wanted to get your opinion on this, yep. because I've got thoughts. Mm. I, I know. I'm shocked. Seriously. Thoughts. And not just one. <laughs> Go on. Well, first of all, they've, they've, they've put it out there. My, my, my first thought about it was... Let's actually work out if the building is sound enough to say so, take something really substantial. Yeah. Because these ideas are going to come forward from architects. They're going to be kind of held up by sky hooks. I'm afraid practicality has got to come in here. I was thinking the spire, in terms of its iconography, I think it is nice to have something there, mm-hmm. a spire. Yeah. Because it was a later addition, much later addition to Super the original cathedral, yeah. I'm not bothered about it being the same shape. I am concerned about anything that's super contemporary in inverted commas because of um, Coventry Cathedral. Now, you probably know Coventry Cathedral. It was bombed during the Second World War. Yeah. There is a, a shell of the cathedral. Yeah. And then in the, I want to say it was the 1950s, they built the new A time cathedral. of great progress. Exactly so. And now... People love Coventry Cathedral, and I don't yeah. want to naysay it, but at the time they did a super, super, super modern in juxtaposition to these ruins. Fun. Now, no, no, see, I disagree it. with this. I, so, so I think, so I don't know if I think that the spire should be super, super modern. I'd be, I, I will be interested to see what the architectural responses are. But we'll get everything. But in terms of Coventry Cathedral, I think actually having something super modern, you may not like it right now. Mm. That's fine. Oh, so you can not like it right now. So in a hundred years time, it may be appreciated in the way that I look at something that's Victorian now. Exactly. And the 20th century, exactly. I mean, the 20th century society is really interesting in terms of the work Mm. that they do to promote the good architecture of that period. And there was good architecture in the early and mid 20th Mm. century. There just was. Yes. There was quite a lot of crap. There's quite a lot of crap throughout history, but what we save is the stuff that's good. Worthy. And sometimes we lose stuff. And that's how we know what was good, yeah, you see what I mean? Course. Like this whole idea about having lost the you know, Penn Station, Euston Station. Mm. So it may be in time that Coventry Cathedral... So when I first moved to, the, moved to London, I really, really, really hated the South Bank. I think I've talked about this before, yes. but I hated the South Bank. I was just like, oh my God, brutalist architecture. Brutalist no, why, why, dominating. why? And now I love it. And it's something about exposure to it mm. and also something about the experiences that I've had in it. I've seen some amazing concerts. I've seen some amazing art. I've seen some amazing theatre. Mm. I've had really good nights out. I've got positive dinners. associations. I have positive associations yeah. with it. And actually, that has changed my relationship with the architecture and also has enabled me to appreciate what the architects were doing with the South Bank Centre. Mm. And I think, you know, so, so maybe from the ashes of the Notre Dame, I mean, it, genuinely, it is, a, it, is, it, is, it is a tragedy. It is it's extremely absolute, sad. Absolute tragedy. It really is. And I think I just, I was just struck, possibly because of the, the genuine hand-wringing of my, my Twitter and Facebook feed, that, that this, is, this is a tragedy that is a tragic mistake. It is a tragic accident. Yes. I think everyone at the and moment is And there's no still, intentionality. Still, no, exactly. And when, so even though we started talking about the spire, because that probably is going to be the element that we talk about the most, 
I think the other bit is about the materials that are used in terms of the structure. And there's been a lot of conversations about, you know, that there aren't oak trees that are as large as the beams that are in there. Yeah. I, for one, actually have no resistance to it being a contemporary material because mm. if in medieval times there yeah. was titanium, they might have used titanium. They probably would have used yeah, titanium. frankly. But they had oak, so that's what they used. Yeah. So in that respect, and also in terms of building regulations, in terms of safety, in terms of incorporating and also, um, fire mm. mitigation strategies... Well, you've got to use the materials to do that because it's function first. Yes. And going back to your earlier point, sometimes constraints, like whether or not it's going to fall down, will lead you to have to make different kinds of yeah. solutions. And it will evolve. It will. So, renewal. Yes. We covered... So much. So much. So much. Now, so next month... Yes. Next month, I think we are going to do a sewn special. I like the idea a of sewn this. special. So, um, for those of you that don't know me personally, uh, and therefore won't have been subjected to my extremely long tirades about how Sir John Sewn is the best architect ever. Uh, Sir John Sewn is the best architect ever. Uh, he was the architect of the Bank of England, uh, tragically, tragically in the 1920s. No. This is just unforgivable vandalism. In the 1920s, people intentionally tore out all of the interiors. And the thing that Sone was so good at was interiors. But anyway, um, save, it, save it for the podcast. Um, so we're going to look at Pittsanger Manor, which has just recently been refurbished. Yep. Um, and I would really like to have a conversation about Pittsanger, but also the Sir John Soane Museum, which is, which is his museum house, in relationship to the Frank Lloyd Wright Museum house, which I saw when I was in Oak Park. Um, so we will possibly do a live podcast from Pittsanger. Woo! I like this. I like it. And my favourite thing about Pittsanger, it has a dancing wing. An entire wing amazing who doesn't need that frankly we could wallpaper it in <gasps> the new verb okay okay it's all come full circle we, we it's all come full circle um thank you for sitting with us uh thank you for listening if you want to talk to us ask us any questions we are available eddpodcast at gmail.com uh we are also available on twitter and instagram eddpodcast and our website www.eddpodcast.com Dot com. Thanks so much.